This is Britta, and welcome to Model Jeans Podcast. This podcast is to introduce you to working models from around the world. From great laughs to tears of horror, our models will discuss their journey and what makes their workday in the modeling industry. This following podcast is brought to you by Model Genealogy. It's an informational platform that provides skills for aspiring models to succeed. You can take the test and find out what type of model you are, and they'll guide you on the path that is right for you in the modeling industry. Models will learn everything from how to get an agent and what to do once you get one, what type of pictures are right for you, what the client's expectations are, how to take care of yourself as a model, and what to expect if you want to work in other markets, plus much more. Model Jeans podcast. Today we have our girl Tessa Jean in town, and uh, this is like our first in-person podcast, which is kind of cool because we've been having to Skype everyone. So, um, if you hear any noise around us, it's either my fault because I have little dogs, or our sling chairs are uh, uh, kind of creaky too. <laughs> so. But, um, hey Tess, how you doing? I'm alright. It's a bit hot out today, but... It's better than being, like, ice cold. That is true, especially in Iowa. <laughs> um, let's talk about always our very first thing. Uh, there's always something that happens on set that you're, like, either it's funny, embarrassing, or, like, oh crap, that just happened kind of thing. Can you think about something that's happened to you on set that you're not prepared for? I'm like completely blanking. Um, there was one shoot where I, the set was like a whole big pile of dirt and the whole shoot was a little off because like, I don't know, it's just any, any of the shoots that have absurd sets are always a little weird. Like if it's not just like a backdrop, like a plain seamless or whatever, then it's always just a bit off. This was a huge pile of dirt and they just had us like curling around in it and like we kind of looked, kind of looked like zombies almost. (laughs) But the whole day was just weird. So many weird things happened. Like, I don't know, there was, so there was different shoots or different shots, I guess, that were like, that they had like a mood board for and everything. And like one of them was getting buried like completely in the dirt, like it was, so then like they would lay the outfit out on top of the dirt that you were underneath. And there was, I think four or five girls at this shoot and they were just like, hey, who feels comfortable getting buried in this like huge pile of dirt? And I was like, I'll do it. And (laughs) um, so then I ended up having to get buried underneath this entire pile of dirt or whatever and it so the weight wouldn't be all like on me or whatever they put um like a board a wooden board over me um so it would like take some of the weight off of it but the entire time like people were walking around me like trying to cover up this like piece of wood and there was a few times it got pretty close people would like step on it and like if this falls I'm gonna break all of my ribs and probably like my pelvis, like everything's gonna break. 
Um, besides for that, what other weird things happened at that shoot? Oh, and then one of the next shots was like, um, they wanted these girls to be like, like kind of like nude implied, but like not really because they like covered them with dirt. And they were like, oh, well, since you got buried, like, you don't have to do this shot. And I was just like, yes. <laughs> Thank the good Lord above. Because then those girls, like, ended up having to shower and everything because they were covered in this mud. Um, and did you know, like, beforehand that... No. When I... So the, I got the call sheet, and it was, like, it said, like, the name of the magazine, like, photographer, like, all the normal stuff. But I guess... As for like, as far as the mood board goes, it didn't really mention a whole lot about like, oh, we're gonna be playing around in this ginormous pile of dirt and <laughs> you're gonna get buried and we're gonna cover these girls in mud and like all of that. So when I showed up and they like started cutting open these huge bags of dirt, I was a little thrown off. Um, let's really quick explain uh, to everyone out there, just in case they don't know it, um, what is a mood board? Um, so usually when you get your call sheet, uh, which has like all the information on like photographer and like name of whatever the job is, whether it's like the brand or the publication or whatever it might be. There's usually at the bottom like a PDF file or maybe just a screenshot or something. Hopefully, usually, you, you kind of hope you get a mood board um, or like a Pinterest link, just something of that sort. And if you click on it or open it up, it's usually um, a spread of different pictures kind of like a collage and it's just kind of like the mood that they're going for so it might show like some of the shots they want to try to recreate but like put a twist on or just like the overall vibe like if it might be like bohemian or it might be like punk rock or it might be like I don't know just all different types of vibes I guess and or there's also sometimes they'll include words like white cloudy like just very descriptive words to try to get everybody to understand like what the what the goal is for the shoot yeah yeah and I think um well I like mood boards I think it helps not just the production team but it also helps the model to know kind of what she's walking into and how they want to see that scene because it's kind of like acting in a way um when you model um it's just that you're acting without words yeah um it also uh, helps a lot with movement because I remember, like, there's been quite a few shoots where I'll get a mood board and I'll have just very absurd poses, and so you might freak out a little bit, but then you at least have, like, a little forewarning, and, like, you'll be able to, like, try, like, put on your heels, strap those heels up, and just make sure that you're, you'll be able to do these weird things in six-inch heels if need be. And you can kind of practice, especially if you get it like a day or two ahead, then it really helps out. Was there anything like help that helped you with um, practicing movement? Yeah, actually, my mom came up with this idea. I don't know if it was like original or anything like that. She might have found it on Pinterest. But since she's a teacher, she always has great ideas about how to learn things. And so she came up with this idea when I was like 15, I think, because um, my first few test shoots went all right but the one feedback that I kept getting was that my movement could obviously be better because I was just starting out and so she took that and kind of ran with it and decided to make a set of flashcards and each of the flashcards had like an emotion on it and so at first I was just practicing like facial expressions with those flashcards like there would be like sad happy and like even more descriptive like emotions and stuff like that 
and then after I like felt comfortable with all the facial expressions then you could also like take those words and like incorporate like your whole body and like um, I guess practice movement that way and besides for that just like watching videos of any other models like Kokorosha or like you know any of the models that are like famous for all their movement and everything um was there like um anyone that you would watch when you were younger on movement um not when I was like really young because I I never really was interested in like fashion or like anything of that sort but once I started modeling um like I said like just Kokorosha or like I was really into for a while going and watching runway shows from like early 2000s because that I was born in 2001 and I don't know I just kind of like or like even the 90s like Naomi Campbell when she was like in her prime I mean she's obviously still in her prime but um (laughs) just like watching like the era of the supermodels and watching those shows was really intriguing to me I guess um I remember a time that you uh had a test shoot in Los Angeles and it was one of your first test shoots um and there was a more experienced girl obviously um who was shooting on set while you were getting your makeup done and do you want to kind of talk about like what was going through your head at that time and what it was like as a a new model watching a more experienced model and you were going to like shoot right after her yeah so the shoot was like a denim shoot so i was like i was really interested in it i really wanted to do it i loved the whole vibe and everything like that but as soon as i started seeing that girl like move and everything Britta was sitting right next to me and I was like, we've got to leave. I was like, I can't do this. We've got to leave. Like, can we just go get something to eat? Like, I don't care. I don't want to be here. Like, because this girl, like, watching her move, she was just so much better than I was. And it was very blatantly obvious. And I just, like, was super intimidated. And, like, I was like, I know I'm not going to be that good. Like, I can't. And then pretty much Britta just told me, like, well, pay attention to what she, like, stop crying over this and pay attention to what she's doing because then you can pretty much just copy what she's doing and then it'll all work out. But the entire time, I just remember sitting there and like the makeup chair, so I was like looking at a mirror because that's usually the way they have it set up for makeup. And then like opposite from the mirror was the set and so you could like see the girl in the reflection of the mirror move and so I was just sitting there the entire time like so scared, so worried that I was gonna absolutely fail, like be, astronomically terrible and um I mean I kind of was but looking back at it it probably wasn't as bad as I thought it was (laughs) what did uh when you got on on to the set and you started moving was there any comments that were made at all um by the photographer or were there any awkward moments that you remember um I feel like the vibes were kind of off just because I was so much younger than these other girls and so like I don't know when you're when you're a minor it's kind of difficult because the vibes are always off because they're always very sensitive or a lot of times they're always sensitive because they're like oh well she's not 18 yet or she's minor or she's pretty young like so there was that to begin with because like the dressing and stuff like that sometimes some people are uncomfortable if you're a minor which is fair like they shouldn't be if they're overly comfortable that's more concerning (laughs) but it can be a, a bit awkward sometimes just explaining like no like I'm comfortable with this like everything because they always want to make sure that you're like fine with everything and then 
the photographer just seemed like, I mean, she was helpful and she would like give me tips and stuff like that. And she would try to help me along, but also obviously like everybody's frustrated if the model can't move, right? Because then it takes longer to get the shot. And so you could just kind of feel the tension in the room because like I was frustrated because I, I couldn't move as good as the other models and the photographer was frustrated because I couldn't move as good as the other models and then like everybody was frustrated because it was taking longer to get the shot because my movement and stuff like that but we've gotten over <laughs> but it. But you made through it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a learning process. I think um, I think you got a treat after that uh, after that shoot just uh, to say like you did your best. Yeah. Yeah even though you were scared to death but I think it kind of like pushed you into like the next like phase of like what you needed to be like yeah it made me realize that sitting because like before I had gone to LA like I had been signed for a while but it wasn't really anything serious and I didn't I didn't take it very seriously I was like okay whatever this is cool but I didn't take it very seriously but after that shoot I was like oh like I actually have to step up my game if I actually want this to go anywhere because there's so many girls out there and all of them are more experienced than you and no matter how experienced you are, just assume everybody else is more experienced than you. <laughs> um, and it just made me, I guess, like, focus more on goals and, like, things that I needed to get done if I wanted to, like, move to any other markets. Yeah. Uh, let's go back to when you were a kid um, and talk about kind of, like, your family life, where you grew up, um, and how you got scouted. So I grew up in a really small town in Iowa, land of the cornfields, <laughs> and... Um, I have three siblings, and I guess two of them are, are boys, my brothers, and then I have an older sister, and so I remember we were, it was like a family brunch or something like that, and my, my cousin at the time, she's built a lot like the rest of my family, just like very tall and very slender, and she was modeling wedding dresses just like as a little side side job to get a get a few dollars here in Des Moines actually um and it wasn't really like she wasn't taking it very seriously she was just like well I have like things to pay off for college and like all this stuff and she had mentioned something about it at like this family brunch or whatever and for some reason I guess like my sister was like kind of perked up about it and was like Oh, like, that seems interesting. And then, like, of course, like, me wanting to be my big sister, because I was young, <laughs> I was like, I want to do it too. And, like, um, my mom, ever since I was little, everything that my sister Tegan does, like, I do too, and vice versa. Everything I do, Tegan does, because we're so close in age. We're only two years apart, or, like, less than two years apart. Um, and so then I guess we just, like, reached out to an agency that my cousin had recommended. Um, and... I guess we kind of just took that and ran with it. We ended up meeting with that agency, and that's how you found me, Britta. And then from there, Britta's brought me to different markets and gotten me placed different places. And But yeah, I was 14, I think. 13, maybe. You're young. You yeah. are like, yeah, you're really young. I was and, tiny. Um, and usually in a family, it's very rare to have two siblings model obviously, um, and both of you and your sister had a really unique look, um, but there was a point in time where finally, like, you kind of split paths, and, um, did you notice, or, um, did you have 
like talks with your sister about you pursuing modeling in a more serious manner and her going on to other dreams? Um, since I was so young, so I was probably like 13, 14, which would mean she was like 15 or 16, when we first like even contacted agencies, anything like that, um, and before you had even scouted us from that agency, uh, I was just so much younger than her, and she was obviously like in high school, I think I must have been like in eighth grade, probably, maybe even seventh, I don't know. But, so she was already having to think about, like, oh, am I going to go to college? Am I going to, what am I going to do after high school? And so for the first couple of years, or, like, the first year, we, we both kind of, like, were just dinking around. Like, nothing really happened because we were both still so young. Like, even though she was 16, it was, she was still young. Um, but then she grew up and she was like, I, I really want to go to college. And I really want to further my education. And because she's always been astronomically smart she's always been so smart like probably I think personally that she's the smartest in my family either that or my little brother I would not say I'm the smartest but I don't know it kind of just made sense for her to do that because she's so smart and she wanted to use her brain and like go to college and so I guess we all just kind of like accepted that and then since I was so much younger I had a lot more time to think about it and so even still like when I was 14, even when I was 15, even when I was in like getting placed in Los Angeles, like I was still like, eh, I'm not gonna take this very seriously or whatever. Like I can get some extra money in high school, I won't have to work at like a grocery store or something, which I ended up having to do anyways. But um, then I guess just as the years went by, like I kind of realized that I might actually have a shot at making, making decent money and getting to travel and have different experiences than the normal person. And so I decided I was gonna take it more seriously and like I was doing things a lot more often than she was, even if she was still signed. But then I guess like the turning point was when she moved out for college because it kind of settled in that like, oh, she's actually going to college and I'm actually gonna continue modeling. <laughs> like, And even at that point she was still signed but wasn't really doing much because it's kind of difficult when you're in college and especially she was going to be a like chemistry major. She wanted to be an anesthesiologist. I don't know exactly what she was doing because I don't pay attention, but <laughs> um, it was like heavy class load and all of that. So it was hard for her to do anything outside of that. And also just like the ball was rolling a lot faster for me. Like I was getting more um, interest from like clients and photographers and stuff. And so then it was my junior year. I think I like finally decided that I was just gonna do take a gap year and do full-time modeling and at this point Tina kind of like fallen off and like wasn't so interested in it and I feel like ever since the beginning she wasn't really as interested as I was um even if she might have been the one to like initiate it I don't remember who exactly initiated it but I don't know I just always showed more interest in it which was kind of odd because I was always the tomboy and she usually would play like dress up and be the girly girl more when we were like very little kids um but yeah, we, I don't remember really having like specific conversations, but anything we did have, it was just like, we're obviously going two separate ways and like you can be happy and do that and I can be happy and do this and we can be happy for each other and we don't have to like hold a grudge and we don't have to hate each other because you get to go to college and I get to go travel and model. But even after like those conversations, there was always still like a little bit of jealousy, like 
I was jealous because she was smart and succeeding at going to school and I didn't think I would ever be able to do that and she got to see like me traveling and stuff especially this past year when I was taking my gap year like I got to go to Greece and London and Paris and all of these places and I think it was difficult for her to still be in Iowa but she loves doing what she does and now she's teaching at um, an elementary school well teaching she's a like a associate in the special education room at an elementary school and she really enjoys that and I don't think she has any regrets as it goes for like modeling or anything like that so I don't think there's any like grudges or anything held yeah I feel like your family uh is uh very uh they back you up a lot with modeling they're very supportive with modeling um but I know that you've had, I mean, because it's a, you're from a small community of, yeah. like, how many people? Are I you? think around 3,500. <laughs> so, <laughs> literally in the middle of all the cornfields. It's like, what is that movie? Silence of the... Children of the Corn. Children of the Corn, yes. <laughs> um, uh, the community doesn't quite understand uh, the world of modeling. Um, and I think that you got some pushback from your community as well. Do you want to talk about that and how you dealt with that? Yeah, so I think, I wouldn't want to say the whole Midwest, but I think anybody from Iowa would kind of agree that the plan is you go to kindergarten, then elementary school, middle school, high school, college, then get a job, settle down, marry, have a family. That's kind of like the expected like lifestyle I guess like nobody ever thinks to do anything different if you do you're going to get hated on and they're going to be like well why aren't you using your brain why aren't you going to like college why aren't you settling down like you're 23 years old why don't you have kids <laughs> why, why don't you have any babies come and, on exactly right? <laughs> and you're like I haven't even started my life <laughs> but that's just kind of how it is and especially in small small towns like it's just so easy for everybody to gossip because there's only 3,000 something of us <laughs> And so you pretty much know everybody and everybody knows your plans and stuff like that. And specifically my school newspaper has like, or not, my like town newspaper has uh, the graduates and everything and like what their plans are after high school. And I think once people saw that I planned to travel and model, um, everybody kind of went crazy. And they were like, why is she doing what? Why is she going to college, blah, blah, blah. But even before that, while I was in high school, like, obviously I had to change my Instagram account and I wasn't like all the rest of the girls in my grade or like the grades around me where I was posting like, oh, I'm at the beach with my friends. Like, oh, I'm like at this rager on the, on a <laughs> Tuesday night. Like, I just had to make it more professional and like I would post my professional pictures and like pictures from different shoots or like magazines or like brands or whatever. And... Well, you even you even got a pushback when you posted a, a digital, which is in your swimsuit. Yeah. Right, and it this is like a a digital and a swimsuit is like the so most basic. It's not even like you don't even look sexy in no. the in it. No makeup, natural hair, like <laughs> literally rolled out of bed and put on a bikini. Um, but there was like this like soccer mom. That's what I like to call them. We don't even have a soccer team at my school. Get this. <laughs> But I call them the soccer moms because they just kind of have that, that attitude of, like, I don't know, they all band together and they're, like, fighting for the community to make it better and all this stuff. And they're just really, like, tend to be more judgmental than the rest. And I remember there was, like, a group of these moms and they were, like, talking. And, like, then some girl came to school the next day and she was like, hey, like, I heard a bunch of moms at the coffee shop and they were talking about how 
you had posted a like a slutty picture on your Instagram or like you were looking for attention on your Instagram. And so I went to look and I was like, I posted a digital, like, what about that is hot? Like, <laughs> nothing. Like, but, and like, I think one of them even had like the, the courage to like talk to my mom about it. But I was like, the same mom, she, I was like, I went to check out her daughter's page and I was like, oh, can't be that she's never posted anything like that's like semi like revealing or anything like that. So I go to look at this girl's Instagram and of course she had bikini pictures from like vacation or from whatever like at the pool or like at the beach whatever it might be she was wearing her bikini i'm like so it's okay for your daughter to wear a bikini at the pool but it's not okay for me to get a professional picture done in or like even like a just like a you know like a iphone picture of a like of me in a bikini against a white wall what what's the difference between the white wall and your daughter at the beach like she has a cheeky swimsuit on and i have a regular bikini like where it covers my butt and everything like if anything I'm gonna say your daughter's is more revealing like I don't understand the issue it's it's literally just so did it like finally calm down in the community after a while or is it still kind of there I feel like at a certain point I don't know when it was I, want, I probably it was probably when I did Mew Mew my first runway show and I posted those pictures and of course, these moms, like, won't educate their kids about high fashion, but, um, these moms obviously know the brand, like, Prada, and they know Mew Mew, and they know all these, like, like, high fashion brands or whatever, and so they saw that, and they were like, oh, shit, this isn't a joke, like, this is, this is actually working out somewhat for her, like, she's not just wasting her life and spending buttloads of money to travel the world just to fake being a model, <laughs> like, they, like, realized that it was actually real, and I think it, that was, like, the turning point, and it switched from them being, like, judgmental and almost, like, quote-unquote, like, worried, I guess, which I'm, like, you shouldn't be worried for me. I'm not your daughter. Don't don't worry about me, <laughs> but it switched from being, from them being worried to them being, like, almost overly supportive, like, everybody always, like, oh, where's Tessa? What's Tessa up to? When I come back into town, like, for, like, a week or whatever before I have to leave again or two weeks before I have to leave again, Everybody's like, oh, you're back in town. Like, what are you doing here? And I think still in the back of my head, I still think like, oh, they're hoping that I said like failed and then I have to like move home. And, like, <laughs> but now they're like, like most of them, some of them still will make like snarky remarks. But I think the majority of the community now is like pretty supportive and they're, they'll, they like paying attention to what I'm doing because it's different than everybody else in the town. Everybody else is going to college or took a gap year to work a full-time job at the movie theater or a grocery store or whatever. And so like seeing somebody from our tiny town, like going and actually getting to travel and do all these things, uh, puts a lot of them in shock, especially because they were the same people that were hating on me or thinking that I was faking it or (laughs) thinking that I was making it up or that it was a whole big scam for anything like thinking it was a part of a pyramid scheme or something <laughs> I think too um I mean you're very like down-to-earth type person and you're uh you're like a you're like just a really hard worker and I think the community kind of sees that too like you've like worked on your car you've done mechanical stuff on your car you obviously chop wood <laughs> you <laughs> you're always like running around fixing something getting dirty with your hands and then, like you weren't scared to like just go get a job at a deli um in between your times you know when yeah. you were modeling as a teenager um 
I think that it, the, it shows the community too that you're just one of them still, that you're a normal person and you're not afraid to just get down and dirty. Yeah, well, the one comment my mom gets the most is like after I came home, like, or when, whenever I came home throughout my gap year, um, I would obviously be going, getting coffee, going to the gas station, whatever it might be, and like interacting with people in my town. And the one comment my mom always got would be, she's so humble. Like, she, she still, like, she acts like she's, like, the same Tessa before she left and did all this. Like, and I think the reason that, that, that surprises a lot of people is because there's people who haven't done anything with their life and they'll still come back to the, our town and be like, oh, I'm so much better than you. And like, we're like, okay, but you didn't do anything. Like, why are you, why are you acting like you're so much better than everybody else? But I think the way that I like stayed grounded was I, since I was starting super young, I didn't want to miss out on being a teenager. And so I feel like I still act like a kid when I'm at home, especially because I have a little brother. And even though he's only two years younger than me, he still forces me to do very um, childlike things. Like I often catch myself climbing trees uh, with him, even though I could easily fall and break every bone in my body. Um, and I don't know, my whole family just kind of drives me to do very like childlike things. And like my dad always has me fixing stuff or like you said, like chopping wood or like my older brother likes gardening, so I'm always out in the garden with him. And like, I didn't lose sight of the things that I enjoyed outside of modeling because I feel like modeling Tessa and being at home Tessa have two very different interests because modeling Tessa is in big cities and at home Tessa is in a small city. And so in the big cities, I like to adventure and explore and all of that, but I've already explored the whole 100 square feet of my town. <laughs> <laughs> it takes you literally like two minutes to walk across your town. Exactly. And so I have a, a lot of different hobbies and different things that I like to do at home. And I just never got rid of those hobbies and I never like let them get lost. Even even if I would spend three or four months away from home, I would always come home and still do the things that I always loved doing while I was in Story City. Do you feel like as a teenager when you were modeling, you were talking about you were able to still like be a teenager, did that really help you? Because I think there was a lot of times we took time out to play, to go skateboarding and to like go explore and I don't know, do teenage things. Yeah. Eat pizza on the car. <laughs> 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 on the foot of the car, you know? Yeah. So um, even though I started traveling when I was young, like when I was 15, I think we went to Los Angeles for the first time and um we would like take breaks and I feel like at least once a day we would end up at Venice Beach and like be skateboarding and you would always make that a priority to do and I think that really helped me not think of it so much as like a job and it really put it in my head that this is fun and this is an experience that you're not going to ever get but like anywhere else and like to not take everything so seriously because I would still take a break and like get to skateboard or like I would still get to like be at home and like be doing stuff or like you I go got to prom it. too yeah I still yeah. got to go to prom and I still got to go to my graduation ceremony even though I graduated a semester early and I think the one thing that I did regret was I, I got to work at a deli my junior year of high school I think because I was bored and I was like if I'm gonna take a gap year and model like I'm gonna need some funds to like <laughs> get the ball rolling 
And so I worked at a, the tiniest little grocery store in my town and I uh, would fry chicken in the back. It was disgusting, but <laughs> it was my high school job. And I think that I always wanted to have a job that I hated because like, I don't know, that's like in every coming of age film is like, oh, this kid has a job that they absolutely hate and that's just part of growing up. Like, but I've never gotten that. Like, I feel like every job that I've had, I've just loved. And like, even now because of coronavirus and like quarantine, I'm, I'm back here in Iowa and I got a job because I didn't want to sit around and not do anything. And I was really hoping I was going to hate this job. I had really high hopes that I was going to hate this job <laughs> and that I was going to finally get that. Because I'm, I'm going to be 19 in like 10 days. Like I am almost not a teenager, so I need to find this job and I need to have this job that I'm going to hate because that's part of my coming of age film. Like, But I ended up getting this job and I love it too. And so I feel like that's my one regret is that I, I've never had a job that I've hated. But maybe that's a good thing. Maybe I could just find you one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we'll besides for that... Start all, searching. <laughs> I've gotten to do all the activities I feel like that a normal teenager gets to do. And that's really helped me not feel like my childhood was stolen away from me. And it helped me, like, I guess, stay more humble and, like, stay close to the people that I still have at home. Do you have, like, um, any advice for parents of, like, what you wish, like, either, like, your parents knew or, like, what parents for future models should know? Um, there's actually quite a few things, but (laughs) I think, I don't know, one of the main things that always caused problems for me was I don't think that they realized that I'm not in control. Like, I am in control to an extent, but it's, like, if a client doesn't book me, or like rebook me or whatever, that's not my fault necessarily. And that's not, it's out of my control. So like my dad or my mom would always joke around and be like, oh, well you should get blah, blah, blah to book you again. And I'm like, but it's not in my control. Like I can't just like text them and be like, hey, book me again. <laughs> like that's not really how it works. And then also I just wish that, I mean, my parents trust me. They've always been super supportive. Like my dad's been like so supportive. I, it's actually dangerously scary how supportive he is. Um, cause I would have never seen he's like, that. Oh, he's like extremely supportive. He's so organized. I've never seen a dad like him. <laughs> he's like the, he's like a mom from dance moms, except yeah. for not like crazy. But even though they've been super supportive, I still think that it's hard for them to fully trust me, especially cause I moved out and went to Greece when I was 17, um, and lived in a foreign country for a month. And then I like continued traveling and then I went to London still, I wasn't 18 and so I was still a kid, and they were like, let me do all this stuff. So obviously they trusted me, but then when I would come home, I felt like that trust was kind of just, like, ripped out from under me. And they are like, well, now that you're home, like, you get to spend time with us, and, like, we don't want you, like, to go out with your friends on Friday nights. And, like, um, I just felt like I was, I was, I was like, so trusted and everything when I was away, but then when they literally wouldn't even be able to access me, they, didn't, <laughs> they don't have passports, like, I literally could have been creating a drug cartel or something in Greece and like <laughs> if they found out they wouldn't even be able to come stop me like there was so much trust and then I get home and I was 17 obviously so they still kind of had had say in what I did they, they could be like oh well you're you're not 18 so you're like you can't go do this or whatever because you need parents permission and I'm like I'm 17 like and I, I think it's like, just kind of hard for yeah. like not just the uh the, the kid who's coming home because they've had so much freedom you know, uh, and then all of a sudden, like, the restrictions are just put onto them. Yeah. Like, as if, like, it was, like, 
back in the future. Mm-hmm. But the parents are not understanding why they need to make certain adjustments and keep that certain trust level. Yeah. You know. Well, because especially since I have two older siblings um, that did, like, more the traditional route, I'd say, they didn't really understand, like, what it was like for me to come home. And, like, obviously, like, I'm not a parent. I probably won't be a parent for a, a quite a while, so I won't understand this. But I try to, I try to like, empathize for my parents and, like, understand that, like, I was, like, the first bird to fly the nest and go to a different country, which is a lot different than going to a college, which is one hour away. Um, and so I try to understand that and see where they're coming from. But it's not like they're, like, overly restricted or, any, or restricting me or anything like that. It's just... No, you just kind of grew, you grew up. Yeah, I grew up really fast, and I had so many different experiences that my other two older siblings before me didn't have, and I mean, they they matured fast too, but I feel like it's just so much different when you've gone and you've seen different things, and then I came home, and it was like, I was back in high school, and I was, you know, like, oh, you can't go out, you have a curfew, like, all this stuff, and I was like, but when I was in Greece, I could be out until, like, three in the morning, like, walking around and you wouldn't even know like it was just difficult for me to understand why it had to be that way but it ended up working out fine I guess when you were traveling um to all these different cities all these different markets you obviously like ran into like other models who were like young like you or Mm -hmm. younger did you ever see any of them like make bad choices and like what happened with them throughout their you know career and oh of course like (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of models that you'll meet especially at fashion week is when you really realize it is there's a lot of models you'll meet at castings and fashion weeks and stuff like that and my first season I remember meeting so many girls my age like so many girls that were like young like me and like had just started out and then my second season of castings they were nowhere to be found but it was like the same group of girls that since they like boom all of a sudden got all this freedom and they were all of a sudden like thrown into this lifestyle they were just starting out and they didn't really have a strong base strong development that they were like building on top of they were the same girls that were like oh well I'm 18 and in America I can't go out and party and so now that I'm in Europe or even like they're like oh I'm 17 like and I'm living without my parents I'm living in a model apartment like I can go out and I can party and I can like do all this crazy stuff and like pretty much not take care of yourself and I think there's definitely a reason that I didn't see them at the at my second season because I think they probably just fell off because if you're like not taking care of yourself then it gets easy to like obviously like gain weight or even just like not mentally be there and then clients can tell or like if you're just like going out late and then waking up at like 2 p.m. the next day then like obviously the clients aren't going to be very willing to work with you because you were eight hours late to their shoot like (laughs) just like things like that and I think it's it's very common to see girls like getting weeded out and like you'll see new girls each season but then you might not see them the next season what made you decide not to be one of those girls um I don't know I feel like coming from the small town I was always raised with the right morals and even if you're raised with the right morals, you can obviously take a UE and go back the wrong way. But um, I don't know. I think I just like sat down, like made a promise to myself almost that I wasn't going to 
let my life get out of control because my parents trusted me. The entire town was, well, except for the soccer moms, was very supportive and everybody wanted to see me succeed. And I wanted to see myself succeed and I didn't want to let anybody down and I didn't want to be a disappointment to my parents and I didn't want to be a disappointment to my town and I didn't want to be a disappointment to myself, most of all. And so I kind of just like told myself like, it's okay to have fun if you don't have anything planned for like two days or whatever. And like, it's okay to go to the beach for a day and it's okay to like, obviously go, like you don't have to sit in your model apartment, wait for a casting, go to the casting, go back to the model apartment and sit there. Like you can still go do like very wholesome activities, but like as for like going out and partying and like doing drugs and like drinking and stuff like that, I feel like it's very few and far between times that I'll like even go out and maybe even have one drink when I'm in like Europe because I'm not legal in the States. I'm not legal in the States. But I also just, I have always enjoyed things more like going to the beach or like I would play this game and I still do every time that I, <laughs> I'm in a city. Um, and it's like the subway game. So you get on the subway, you go to a random stop, you don't even like pay attention to what they're saying and you get off at a random stop and then you go find something and explore, maybe like try a new food or like find a cute little like shop and like go thrifting or like just find like, you'll find all sorts of different things if you just get on the train and get off at a random stop and walk around. Um, be careful because sometimes you might end up in bad neighborhoods, but um, for the most part it's fine. And like, I would always just play that game and I'd choose to do things more of that type of realm rather than going out at two in the morning <laughs> and I feel like it's most prominent in Los Angeles where like all the girls from uh the castings and stuff that I would see they would always be going out to the club until like three in the morning and the next day they'd be posting pictures with like the weekend or Post Malone or like all these people and I was just like I don't I don't think I could live that lifestyle and be successful and not be a disappointment to me myself and everybody else around me <laughs> And so I just kind of had to make that decision early on and hold myself accountable. Yeah, and I think that's really hard for a lot of girls, but it's really honestly also the key to being uh, a great model in this um, in this industry and being able to hold a future um, in the industry and like keep going. So, um, and I know it's like very glamorous, obviously. Uh, for, for the most part. <laughs> for the most part, not when you're throwing up in the, in the toilet. But you know, what models? You know, they get free dinners. They get you know, uh, free passes into the nightclubs. They get to see celebrities. Um, it's because you're beautiful. But at end of day. Um, it kind of wears you down and then you get a reputation and then um, between those two things uh, the agencies that you're with don't want you and the clients don't want you because the clients are watching you on you know on uh, Instagram and um, and unfortunately that is how so many girls uh, drop out the first year yeah um, in their career um, and they don't even get dropped out. They 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 get dropped. Not that they drop out. Yeah. It's literally like they get dropped out. Yeah. By everybody else. To accentuate on the the puking up in the toilet comment, <laughs> it's uh I was dying in Greece, literally dying in Greece, um my second market or whatever. From and, what? Uh, I don't even. The doctor never really told me. I met with three Greek doctors and then my pediatrician when I got home. And nobody ever really knew. There was a theory that it was sunstroke. There was a theory that I ate something bad. There was a theory that um, there was a bug 
like just like a sickness going around but I was literally dying I was not <laughs> it wasn't from drinking it wasn't from anything else it was from truly I was just like terribly sick and I ended up getting shipped home but yeah <laughs> that comment sounded bad because we were just talking about like drinking and stuff <laughs> <laughs> well and that was um I mean I guess like a lot of girls like okay you stay in a market for usually it depends how long have, have you been in your markets um, anywhere from like a month to three months. Yep. And, um, and then you have, sometimes you have like one market that wants you over another market or you have a job instantly that wants you ASAP. And so you'll be in the middle of a market and then you have to drop everything. And that's kind of like what happened with Greece, except that it was because you were so sick. You yeah. had like an emergency flight back home because the doctors couldn't figure out. Yeah. Well, also there's language barriers that did help. <laughs> Experience in a lifetime trying to talk to three Greek doctors on three separate occasions. Um, was there anything um, though that you learned about communication with all of your travel? It's important to not be a stupid American. <laughs> and when I say that, I mean it's pretty common for foreign foreign people or like people in foreign countries. Um, if you go to their country you're the visitor and if they speak a different language it's your responsibility to learn that language or try your best to use google translate or any of the other apps that are offered to you um because if you speak english and you tell them you don't speak any other languages they'll call you a stupid american and so you just have to try your best to not be a stupid american and just like use your resources like there's plenty of things if you have a smartphone which i would assume most people do at this point um it's important to do your research and download the apps that you can, download Duolingo and try to learn at least a few phrases and how to order food and stuff like that, because if not, you might get trapped in Greece trying to communicate with Greek doctors, literally dying, and then you'll end up crying on the front steps of the doctor's office and then end up uh, getting sent home because they can't figure out what's wrong because you can't communicate with them. How was your communication with your agencies internationally? As for like how they update me and like emails and stuff like that yeah or, or just like do, were you comfortable you know with them was there anything that was different between like the greek um agency and your parisian agency and your parisian agency and your uk agency so the first thing i noticed so greece was my first international market that i went to just to kind of develop and get some editorials and tears and stuff like that but the first thing that i realized with them is that the the, like, translation is very harsh. So, like, they might be, like, feet selfies now. Which means, like, they want pictures of your feet relatively soon. But the way they say it sounds really harsh. Or, like, please go to the casting now. And they mean, like, oh, you should go to the casting, like, head out after this one. But the way that the translation correlates is very harsh. And so I found it very difficult to, like, if I needed something to talk to them about it. Like, when I started getting sick, it was difficult for me to reach out and be like, hey, I'm, like, deathly ill, like, I need to do something about this. And they still try to send me to castings and stuff because the communication just, like, I wasn't comfortable fully communicating how sick I was because I felt a lot of pressure because of how harsh the translation was. <laughs> but I just felt like there was a lot expected from me and that I shouldn't say no when in reality I should have said no because I just kept getting sicker and sicker. <laughs> Um, but then as for like their other markets, my London agency, super sweet. I love everyone there, but I feel like they're a lot more, they're very similar to New York in the business aspect where it's, it's very much so business and 
when you go to the agency, it's business, business, business. But then outside of the agency, then you guys can be friends and you guys can talk and like go out for food or whatever. And then if you see them outside of the agency, then it's like you're very comfortable with them. It's almost like family, um, which is like the same same type of way as in New York. It's like they're very business when they're working. And when they're not working, then it's easy to get along and like have like more of a family type bond. And then in Paris, it's actually very odd. And I don't know, this might just be my agency because they're amazing. But um, as soon as I stepped in, I hadn't I hadn't even like met them for like um, before they signed me. They just signed me while I was in America, I think. And as soon as I stepped in, like after I had first come to Paris, um, it was like I was stepping into a family reunion. <laughs> like they all acted like they knew me right away and that they like... And, like, everybody there just seems like a big family to me. And it, they've always been, like, family even during the work hours. And even while they're at the office, they're very, like, opening. And, like, they'll, like, tell you the truth. And, like, well, I mean, all agencies will mostly tell you the truth. Um, but, I mean, they'll just tell you how it is. Like, very harshly tell you the truth. They'll be like, oh, well, this is what the client didn't like. And they won't really hold anything back. And, like, having that very open communication, personally, I really enjoy it because... Like I said, it feels more like family. Like, your mom's not going to lie to you. Like, it's the same way with my bookers in Paris. Like, they're not going to lie to you. And so, I don't know, they just feel like a big family to me. Whereas the other agencies, there's obviously a very, very obvious time for business. And then there's an obvious time for, like, play. But in Paris, I feel like it's always play. But... It's interesting to say that, like... I don't know if it that, makes sense. Well, you know, uh, the feedback, like, you wanted... You were cool with the feedback. Um, do you want to kind of, like, tell the girls um, and guys out there, like, why they should have feedback and maybe, like, why they should be so open to it? Um, so, you can't just stay the way you are. You can't just get stuck in a one-way train to wherever. <laughs> like, it's very, very not, not cool of you if you do that. <laughs> and so if, if you get this feedback, and I think this is why I enjoy the very honest feedback from Paris. I get feedback from other agencies too, but in Paris they just really slap your face with it. They're just like, this is how it is. Like, um, but then I was, I was, it was a lot easier for me to take that feedback and instead of like cr- going and crying about it or... <laughs> going and being like oh well I can't fix that like I don't understand like if the client needs to be more open-minded and like blaming it on everybody besides for yourself um I was able to like take that into into like consideration for everything that I did from that point on and try to like take that and like grow with it and like just like work on whatever the feedback is I mean some things like the feedback I always get is oh you're too tall she's too tall she won't fit in this it's not long enough and of course I can't fix that, but I was able then to take that and instead of wearing like three inch heels to castings, then I got a smaller pair of heels and then I didn't appear so tall. And even that like helped me book more jobs for my first season of London Fashion Week because I didn't seem so ginormous. And it helped me appear shorter because the other girls might be wearing three or four inch heels whereas I was wearing like two inch heels. And so even though you might not be able to fix it, there's ways around that and you you just need to take any and all advice that you can get and um interpret it how you want and fix fix it or do whatever try to make yourself better and hope that you don't get 
that feed that negative feedback again or if it's positive feedback then like you know what you're doing good and you can continue to do that and then work on the negatives and at some point hopefully you reach a place where you might not get any more negative feedback but nobody's ever happy with anything so <laughs> there um you had a job with uh Prada and I wanted to kind of talk about your experience with it because I think a lot of models don't understand that even if you're booked for something you're not booked until you're on the runway <laughs> exactly <laughs> and um you could be for, confirmed for a job but you're not actually confirmed until you're done with the show and back on back in backstage in your street clothes yeah so do you want to kind of uh talk about your experience with with that and what to ex- <laughs> like what just what to expect you know yeah. Um, so I was 15 or 16? 16, I think. I think I was, yeah. I was 16 and I was sitting in my Spanish class and got a text from Britta that Prada was interested in me and I needed to send a picture of my license, like all this stuff. So I did that and blah, blah, blah. Like a day later, I think, two days later, it was like, oh, Prada wants to fly you out to New York. Like they're having a show in New York um, and they want you to be a part of it. And so, I get it up, got on the plane to New York with Britta, woohoo, in New York, living it up. And then I go in for, like, the casting just to, like, check in with the casting director and, like, make sure that I am who I said I was and that I'm actually what they want and not just, like, I didn't look good on paper and then look terrible in person because <laughs> it's pretty easy to fake that nowadays, like, Photoshop and everything like that. But anyway, they wanted me to come in for the casting and... It didn't go so hot. I was very intimidated because there was this girl who, when I was younger, we looked a lot alike. And she was a designated Prada girl. Like, did Prada season, season, season after season. Campaign after campaign. She basically was like your doppelganger. Yeah. I mean, now we I don't think we look alike at all. But when I was younger, we definitely did. And um, so I was insecure from that. And then on top of that, nobody had ever told me that I was supposed to say that I was... 510 or something like that like 170 something and so I walk in there and they're like how tall are you and I was like uh six foot maybe (laughs) and then they ended up measuring me and like all this stuff and then in the end it just kind of like didn't work out like I did the hair and makeup test shoot but even then it was like um I don't know I was like sitting so they had quite a few girls for the hair and makeup test because Guido and Pat obviously need to figure out what they're going to do and like test it out and make sure that Miss Prada approves and everything like that. And so they pretty much do the hair and makeup for the show before the show, like a day or two or a night, the night before, and make sure that everybody on the team agrees and knows how to do it and they have like the, everything figured out, how they're going to pull it off and all this stuff. So that's what the hair and makeup test was, and I was booked for that. And I was actually booked for that. It wasn't, it wasn't like a booking, non-booking. And, but all day I kind of just ended up sitting around. Um, because at, at first Guido came up to me and he was like, oh, I want, I want you to come here. And so I like got up and then Pat was like, no, I want to use her. And then neither of them ended up using me. Um, just because there was so many girls that they could choose from. And like, I just kind of got lost in the crowd. And so me and Anok, mm-hmm. um, we, which now she's like huge, well, she was huge at that point too, but um, 
we were both just sitting there all day so I didn't take it personally because I was like okay well she's beautiful and she's amazing and she's like such a good model like so obviously it's not really about like who you are it's just like how it went down or whatever so that helped me not take it so personally that I was just sitting there all day but then I got to talk to her all day was there like a piece any piece of advice that she gave you kind of like for as a big sister to a little sister there was a lot of advice that she gave me but like one of the things that stuck out the most and like the advice that I give to everybody else is to like not get lost in the industry and like make sure that you know who you are and keep track of who you are and where you came from and don't forget about where you came from and don't forget about who you are outside of the industry because the industry can be so brutal and it can take yourself away from you but it won't happen if you don't allow it to like just stay true to who you are and keep your morals and your standards strong because it's so easy for everything to get ripped away from you in this industry it's um, a good piece of advice yeah i really enjoyed talking to her because we got to literally sit there for like six hours and just talk and the whole time i was like oh my gosh i'm in the presence of like this amazing model like this supermodel um, and I remember, I remember when they finally called and said, okay, she's cut, yeah. she's not getting booked. Well, also, during the hair and makeup test shoot day, um, I went to go grab lunch, and Miss um, <laughs> Prada and Britta both happened to be petite Italian women, <laughs> and so I saw who I thought was Britta walking down to like this little office area and so I like threw up the peace signs at her and was just like hey what's up and she got closer and closer and closer turns out it was Miss Prada and not Britta <laughs> so that probably did not help my shot at <laughs> getting the show scarf and no scarf remember that scarf she was wearing the scarf you can never wear a scarf ever again in your entire life Britta because mm, never um, from 30 feet away I might think you're Miss Prada <laughs> Um, I need to be able, I can keep track of, I need to be able to make sure that I can keep track of who's Miss Prada and who's not. <laughs> so I don't embarrass myself ever again. <laughs> um, but yeah, you got the call, I think, or I got the email. It's, I think you got the call because I was still so young. They didn't want to like break my heart. Yeah. And then made you break it to me. And I remember I like, I, I was fine at first. And then I went, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go to Times Square, and I'm going to chill in Times Square. And so I went to the Hershey's store, and I ended up getting, like, the pound of Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. And I went, and I sat on the bleachers in Times Square. And you texted me, like, are you sure you're okay? Like, blah, blah, blah. And I was just sitting on these bleachers. I was like, yeah, I'm fine. And then soon enough, every single screen, or, like, the majority of the big screens in Times Square turned to the product show. And I was like, this is an actual nightmare. This is a joke. The simulation is a joke. This, this is so you're like sitting in the middle of Times Square and all the electronic billboards turn right into the Prada show, show that you were supposed to be in. That I had gotten dropped from. So like basically like it's like prior. mocking you. Exactly. So I like gather up my pound of Reese's peanut butter cups and like run back to the hotel. And I think by the time I got back, you were like getting ready for bed. Mm-hmm. And obviously I couldn't sleep that night, but then on top of that, you were snoring. <laughs> and so then I ended up just, like, sitting there silently crying. <laughs> I'm sorry, I may or may not snore. It's one of the perks that all the models have with when they travel with me. Uh, 
But yeah, and I think you took a video of that. Like you were of like course. in bed bawling, and I'm like behind you snoring in the <laughs> yeah. other bed. Exactly. Yeah. It was awesome. Um, I was just so tired. I was like, I don't even think that I was that heartbroken about the show because I knew that there were more things coming and that I would always get another chance. I think that was like your first really big heartbreak though. And I think it kind of like also made you think like, do I want to keep doing this? Yeah. And what's my reason why I'm doing this? Um, and I think every, every girl goes through that like one big heartbreak. Um, and, uh, and kind of has like that moment and it's just it's like you have to and then and then to also realize that 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 one heartbreak is not going to be your only one there's yeah. going to be like ones that like, follow you know you're like oh yeah i'm finally over it like yeah okay i got dropped from product but it doesn't matter because everything's fine now and then and then maybe bam, a week later else. maybe a month later maybe a year later it happens again and again and again with different brands that you dreamt of walking for but never got never got to but they put you on hold forever and then they they had you come in for a fitting and then they're like you know what just kidding we're gonna rip this rug out from under <laughs> and it just happens repeatedly especially during fashion week it's just the constant heartbreak <laughs> of getting released from jobs <laughs> what um is there like uh someone in the industry that you've always wanted to sit down and like just talk to and meet Probably, I mean, there's multiple, but ever since I first, very first started, so that's what the one that I, I always refer back to was Carly Kloss. That's just because she is also very, very, very tall, and she's also from the Midwest. And, um, I don't know, I remember I saw her in New York one time running around, and I saw how tall she was, and the fact that she was, like, taller than me, I was like, I need to know how you do this, because I keep getting released from every job, because I'm too tall. <laughs> And, um, ever since I was young, I just kind of looked up to her because she seemed very, very similar to me. Even if we didn't quite, like, have the same type of look, we were still both the same height, still came from the Midwest. She seemed like she was, like, very down to earth and had good morals. And she just seemed like she would be a really good, like, like, big sister, I guess, or, Mm -hmm. like, tutor or whatever. And so I've always wanted to meet her. But I have not gotten the chance to. Uh, I am friends with her dad on Facebook, which I think that counts for something. But no, I have not met Carly Claus. <laughs> not yet. Something to like work on for the future, for sure. Yeah, I'll blow up her dad's Facebook account. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like, Kurt, please, t- please talk to me. I need to meet Carly. Please talk to me. <laughs> Kurt, don't don't ignore me. <laughs> um, when you're uh, traveling, do you have like a favorite city? Paris, for sure, one hundred percent. That's not even, there's no question about it. Paris, 100%. What makes Paris so special? Uh, the people, like my bookers and everything there. And then also just like people that I've met outside of modeling. Um, just like very down to earth people. And even if there's like a language barrier, like, I don't know. They still like make an effort to go and like include you in things. Even if they might not speak the same language as you, they'll still be like, come with us and like you just like there's always I feel like these French kids are always going on adventures and they always make a like make a I don't know the word make a point make a point to invite you like even if they don't even know you they'll be like oh yeah come to the river with us like come do this with us come do that with us so like the people make it magical and then also just like the experiences I've had there are like insane like I would have never thought that I would have gotten to experience that and then also there's always like the 
romanticized factor. Like, everybody romanticizes Paris ever since you're a little kid, and everybody's like, oh, I want to go to Paris, I want to go to Paris, but, yeah, just everything kind of added up, and I think the one thing in Paris that uh, is probably, was the hardest for you was um, addresses. Oh, I thought you were about to say getting tear gas. I was like, that too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Getting tear gassed in Paris. Ah, that's, yeah, that's totally normal. Just another memory. Um, (laughs) But yeah, the, well, I mean, so obviously everything's in French. Metro's in French. The street addresses are in French. And I cannot pronounce half of them because I speak English. I think even like, isn't the doorways like um, trying to find, I remember like you trying to find certain doors yeah there was something weird about that also in london it's all jacked up because there's like multiple of the same address just with different postcodes so it might have been something like that and then also it's just like it's not the same as in america and like in america it's you're used to having like you'd have 18 on one side of the road and then 19 on the other side and then like 20 on the same side as 18 like even numbers on one side odd numbers on the other and i don't think it's like that in paris i don't remember but just, like, it's very different how the city's laid out. And New York is easy because it's... America. Yeah, it's well, it's America and it's a grid. <laughs> and then I feel like London is pretty easy as well because there are times it's... I mean, it's English-speaking. But... And even Greece was pretty easy. I don't know how or why. But for some reason, it was just very hard in Paris. But you kind of just get used to it. And you realize how small Paris is. And after a while, you'll start to, like, learn and, like figure out actually where you are and then I got to the point finally where I could make it from any point in the city to the Eiffel Tower without having to use my maps so that's important it is it's huge (laughs) or knowing what subway you're gonna go on yeah that's huge too yeah especially in France because and in Greece and any other country Milan or anywhere that doesn't speak English because um often your your maps will tell you like it'll try to translate into the English version but then that doesn't help you at all because it'll be like, like trying to translate. It'll be like a half translated um, subway station name, and then so you can't even like be like, oh, it's the same. Like in Greece, um, it would like half translate all the subway stations, metro stations. So then you you wouldn't be able to even compare what it says on your phone to like what it said on the like subway screen saying what stop it was because you would have the half translated version on your phone and then like the actual fully greek version on the metro and you'd be like okay well this is not helping at all (laughs) but yeah you're like i should have learned more greek exactly um because because of all your travels everywhere and you were so young do you have like suggestions for models who um i mean you obviously have a lot of ups and downs but if you're going and you're like dropping into like another city um any preparations that you would suggest for the models so it'd be easier on them? Um, this isn't really a, I mean, this is more of a hack. Make sure you're always showered before your flight, like shower as close to your flight as you possibly can because you never, you never know once you get, like once you land in that city, you're probably gonna get sent to a casting or something, especially if it's during like fashion month. Um, what else? Try to learn as much as the langu- of the language as possible or even if it's like London and it's like an English speaking country, there's still so many different like slang words and terms that they use that, I mean, it's not necessarily super important to know, but it definitely makes the experience more enjoyable and easier to understand people. Um, what about packing? Was there like anything? Do not pack too much. <laughs> 
I'll let you explain that, but also, like, talk about if there's, like, anything, like, the way that you packed or, like, things that you brought with you. So, the majority of my gap year, I didn't use packing cubes, but then recently, for this past Christmas, I got packing cubes. So, my last two trips that I've been on, I used packing cubes. And they help immensely, especially they help you not overpack. They help you, um, like, for example, I went to, from, I was in Paris, and then I went to London, and then I went to Greece, and then I went back to London, all within, like, four days. And I had to bring my bags with me everywhere because they didn't know if I was going to be staying at the same accommodation in London when I got back. And so if I would have had packing cubes, I could have just, like, kept, you keep everything in the packing cubes and you throw them in your suitcase. You're good to go in, like, half an hour or less. Um, so the packing cubes, 100% invest in some of those. They're pretty cheap on Amazon, even. Um, don't pack too much because it'll really screw you over in overweight fees. And make sure you always bring your luggage scale, like a portable luggage scale. Because I didn't have one of those until Christmas either. So I probably paid like hundreds of dollars in overweight fees that I probably didn't need to. Um, I always pack, they have like these collapsible duffel bags. Like um, mine's Eddie Bauer, I think. And I always bring that because you'll probably end up doing shopping. Even if you tell yourself you're not going to, you probably will. And so you probably did not account for that space in your suitcase. So it's always good to bring a duffel bag because I think most of the time it's cheaper to pay for an extra bag rather than paying for overweight fees. So if you have the extra bag, then you're able to fill that up and then just pay a lot less. Um, what else? I don't know. Just, oh, always have luggage tags because especially if you have like like average suitcases, then like a lot of times they might get stolen or misplaced or whatever. And um, so you never know. But don't put your like American phone number on it. Try to put your whatever WhatsApp number you have it under, which you it should be your American phone number or whatever your origin country is. But I screwed up one time, and now my WhatsApp is my French phone number, and so that's the one that I put on my luggage tags because it's my WhatsApp, and then I just put in parentheses WhatsApp. Um, I don't know, just just little things you don't think about. Uh, I often go on Pinterest and look at like the organized moms. There's like the like a board like organized mom's packing tips, <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. You just scroll through there, and anything that might appeal to you. Um, yeah, I think you're pretty that. organized with your packing. You're yeah. probably one of the most organized, and you can only bring one suitcase. Yeah. And well, I mean, you could bring more, but then it's a pain in the ass. Right, because then you, well, the moment you like drop into a city, um, usually what happens for you? Um. Well, at first when I started modeling, I would usually call a taxi, but now since I only bring one suitcase, I'm able to take the metro, which is so much cheaper, especially in like London and stuff like that. Um, London and Paris both, like they're super easy to get from either the train station or the airport to like city center um, from the metro. And so that's why you only want one suitcase because then you can take it on the metro and it doesn't take as long as a taxi and it's a lot, a lot cheaper. Like you'll probably save like... Sixty dollars, yeah. yeah. Sixty to a hundred dollars, yeah. Like it just depends on what country you're at, but after that, like a lot of times you might have to go directly to the agency, or directly to your like host family. And I know a lot of the host families that I stayed with or model apartments I stayed with, they don't have elevators and they only have stairs, and so you do not want to bring two fifty-pound luggages and have to carry them up the stairs. <laughs> There's just a lot of different reasons why you should only pack one suitcase. Also, you don't need that many clothes. You're going to be a model. Like, you don't need to bring 
like your Sherpa like coat. Like I don't know. You don't need to bring pointless you don't need to bring like a Halloween costume. You don't need, like I see so many girls and they just bring like the most insane things. And I'm just like, why do you need that? Like And they're like, Oh well I'm gonna be here till October and Halloween and like I'm like what? Like just go buy something and like um I always I I never pack shampoo or conditioner because you can always find that it's everybody uses shampoo and conditioner around the world, believe it or not. Um so you can find it anywhere as soon as you land. You don't have to worry about bringing it because that'll weigh down your suitcase. Um, pretty much anything like that you aren't going to need right away that is cheap and able to be purchased there, I would definitely recommend doing that because you don't need to be bringing pointless things from America uh, just because you like that brand or something. You can use different soap in a different country. Um, for the month you're going to be there. <laughs> what about for like beauty products? Do you have like beauty products you swear by that you use? Um, well, my skin was absolutely terrible until I, until I started using the CeraVe moisturizer. It's like the daily facial moisturizer or something like that. And it's because it's it doesn't clog your pores. And so I was getting these bumps on my forehead. Um, they were just like, they weren't pimples. They were like, just like, skin colored bumps but all the makeup artists and everything would like be like oh no like it's not good like I'm gonna have to try to cover that up I mean it wasn't a huge deal but it's still like it doesn't help your confidence at all so I started using that moisturizer and that really helped and then also the other thing would be like uh any type of like acid toner so I think Polish Choice makes one and Glossier makes one and they're like just like AHA BHA PHA or something like that? PHP? I don't know. Something. Three different types of acid and you like, or like a 2% salicylic acid and it's just like kind of like a toner. You put it on a cotton pad and wipe it all over your face and it helps to like chemically exfoliate your face because that um, was also what was causing the bumps because my new skin would grow over the old skin causing these like skin colored bumps. But those two things absolutely saved my skin. And then just like get a good spot treatment. Like it's different for everybody what, what, one works for you but I personally like the on-the-go Neutrogena one it's just a tiny little tube it's like six dollars and it's good because then if you have like a pimple or a spot or something like that it'll help immensely if you have like a shoot the next day or a show the next day or whatever um and if that doesn't work for you then get pimple stickers <laughs> because they're like these like little circles and they have like micro darts in them and you can put it on the pimple and the darts will like pierce the pimple and suck all the pus and stuff out and take away the... Sounds disgusting. It is disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> it's also satisfying. But then it'll like suck all the pus out and then it'll get rid of the bump and make it more flush to your face so it's easier for a makeup artist to cover up. Awesome. Yeah, and we'll <laughs> like get all those um, products from you and we'll put the links down right. below too. So... Um, if anybody's interested, is there like any other products that you swear by that models should have? Um, like products in general? Yeah. Well, you're going to need a travel adapter. That's for sure. <laughs> Just to like change the outlets and stuff like that. Um, a good phone case. I always see models with busted phones and it's not something you're going to want to be buying in a country if you bust your phone up. Um... Good basics. Invest in good basics. Like good white tank top, a good black tank top, a good pair of black jeans that are long enough. Because for the longest time I was wearing 
uh, black jeans that had an inseam of like 32 and they went halfway up my calf and I looked stupid. Um, but then I found some that were long enough for me and they were a lot more flattering. And I think, I think it's really important to like have good basics because if you invest in your basics, it'll show in digitals and in casting outfits and stuff like that. And then also just like a few personal pieces that show your style that go with your basics and your casting clothes because if you just wear an all black outfit, you're gonna look like everybody else at that casting. So make sure you have like either like a good flannel or like a jacket that is super cool or something that shows your personality. So as for wardrobe goes, that's the two things I'd recommend. Okay. Yeah, that works. It sounds good to me. I think it's really important to have really nice basics as well. Um, ones that are very classic, they like don't have uh, like rhinestones on their ass. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like the, the t- uh, time warp, you know, to it. And you're yeah. like, oh, that's from that era, you know, or that's from last year. I mean, unless it's in style. But. Yeah, yeah, but also like, especially with heels, I feel like uh, a lot of girls that buy platform heels, yeah. they kind of like that time warp kind of shows, and it looks. I don't know, it looks a little uh, not so stylish anymore. And I think if you could just find a simple, basic heel. Yeah, like timeless. Have a good timeless outfit. Timeless outfit, You can always screw around with wearing like black bell-bottom jeans to a casting, but it's only going to stay in style for so long. (laughs) So just make sure you always have a good pair of black skinny jeans to run back to. Yeah. Okay, so I have a couple more questions. um, Because I know I've been talking for a while, sorry. Um... (laughs) As always, um, if you had an ad campaign, what would your message say? This is probably the tenth time I've said this in this podcast, but something along the lines of being true and staying yourself and to not let the world take that away from you. Something along those lines, probably, because, like I said, it's so easy for everybody to get lost. Even if you're working a nine-to-five in the middle of Iowa and if... <laughs> town of 3,000 people, it's still easy to lose yourself and and lose your passions just because life gets so repetitive so often that you forget who you are. and Or like people will just try to take things from you, like they'll try to break you down and like take your confidence and take your, like, if, if they take your confidence, they take everything. They take your style, you don't want to dress how you dressed before because people made fun of you for it, you don't want to do your makeup how you did it before because people might make fun of you. If you, they take your confidence, they have everything. They have all the power over you. So just to be yourself and not be afraid of who you are because, like I said, if, if you don't have confidence, then you don't really have anything. And I think you're really good at speaking up about that. Um, I, when did that, like, happen? Like, when did you start being able to speak up for yourself? Did you notice, like, a, a moment or, like, a, a time... I mean, I've always been more vocal and more, like, able to speak up for myself than my older sister just because she's always been more shy. So I feel like ever since I was little, I've kind of been, like, speaking up for the both of us because we were both around the same age. Um, But I feel like in high school, maybe my sophomore year, I stopped taking, taking comments from other people and, like, worrying about what they were saying because my freshman year, I dressed kind of weird and (laughs) I mean I loved it but like to other people it was obviously weird and I let like the senior like class like they would always like talk crap about me and just be like oh like 
that freshman is so like whack like what is she doing why is she wearing that blah 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 but then like my sophomore year anything I was wearing freshman year people started wearing and people started doing what I was doing freshman year their sophomore year and so I was like I'm not gonna listen to anybody else because now they're all copying me and so I don't know I feel like that helped a lot and then also just just like meeting other girls who had a lot of confidence helped me become more confident because I saw how happy they were and I saw how easy it was for them to be themselves and I was inspired by that and I was like I want to be able to do that and so you kind of just have to work within yourself and believe in yourself and not not listen to anybody who's telling you that you're not good enough or that you need to tone down your style or that you need to look a certain way or whatever it might be. Do you think you like you're confident enough to be able to speak up um, in the modeling world if you had to? Yeah so I actually had an incident where um, there was a photographer and I was underage I think I was 16 or 17 and I was with a photographer and they wanted to do like um, like kind of like an underwear shoot so at first it started out with like a pair of jeans and a Calvin Klein bra on but then they were like oh can we do one with just the Calvins on so like the Calvin bikini underwear and then the Calvin bra and um, I texted I was I am surprised that I did this because looking back at it I was young I was like I probably should have like I, I'm surprised that I did that and I didn't just sit there and let it happen but I was I just texted my agent and I let her deal with it because I was like this is um, out of my pay grade, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna confront <laughs> the you. for myself, but, yeah, um, yeah, I was able to text my agent, and I feel like, um, yeah, that's, that's only, like, actual, like, thing I've, I guess I've had to speak up about, but then also, just, like, when you're on set, if you're not feeling well, or if you're, like, if you need something to eat, like, not being afraid to speak up of that, about that is also very important, because there's been so many shoots where there's been young girls, and they have been super hungry, or, like, super thirsty, and they won't say anything about it, and then they'll pass out, or they'll, um just like look ill and then the pictures aren't going to turn out well so like you just need to be able to speak up and tell them if you need anything and usually there's a person on set that's like designated to be like the model helper like the team helper that'll like go on the coffee runs or go like get people food or get people like a bathrobe if they want one or like whatever it might be and so no matter what like anything you need just speak up and if if they don't listen to you then text your agent why do you think girls are so scared to speak up I think it's definitely like um it's easy to see like a power imbalance like you don't want to say anything because you're scared that then the photographer might not consider you for other jobs or the client might not book you because you might come across as rude or needy or something like that but in the end like your health and your like you are more important than that client or that job like if if that's how they take it if you're like asking oh could i get a glass of water like as long as you're being polite if they take that as something negative then that's their own fault and that's not something you should be worrying about but i think it's off it's often easy to just think like oh well if i say something about this or if i do that then like um they won't want to book me again or they won't want to work with me or like i'll get a bad reputation but honestly in the end like if you stay true to yourself and you stand up for yourself, then you're going to come out winning every time. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, I guess which brings me to the last um, question for the day. Uh, wouldn't it be great if, and I'm going to let you finish the sentence um, on it. If 
everyone in the industry was seen as equal if there's more equality just in general like i'm um, like racial equality body like equality like e- equality <laughs> racial equality body equality like um just like nobody having more power over one one person like no like clients taking taking control over the model or and or like taking anything away from the model and like no agents like like abusing the models or like being like oh well we're your agents and so like we don't have to pay you right away or we don't have to do this right away and we can say this and we can do that because we're your agents and like we own you but in reality like you're making them money if they if they if, if they didn't have models they wouldn't have money if they didn't have models they wouldn't have a job so i wish that there was just like more equality all around and that because then also that opens up the next question of like people would be a lot more comfortable speaking up before something happens and they'd be a lot more comfortable speaking up after something happens whether it be um them getting excluded from something because of their body type or because of their skin color or because of they might have like a certain like birthmark or a certain like physical um disability or something like that um and so it'd be a lot easier for girls to be more confident in speaking up about their experiences if everybody was more equal because they wouldn't be scared about like what I was talking about like they wouldn't be scared because they wouldn't think that like oh this client has so much power over me or my agents have so much power over me and I feel like if if we gave more power to the models there would be a lot of things that would work out a lot better for everyone. Are there like uh, specific solutions that you can see as a model uh, for like rules in place or not rules but like procedures or guidelines um well I think in Los Angeles they have like a two week pay period or something um where it's like from the date you work the job to then two weeks out you should be getting paid by them the client has to pay yeah the client has weeks. to pay within two weeks and I know girls who worked with Nike and because like clients in like um Everybody will say, like, oh, well, that's just not possible. That's not feasible. But I know girls who work with Nike, and they get paid day of. And so I think that that's not true. It's not... I mean, it's definitely difficult, and it's going to be difficult. But I feel like maybe if they put more rules in place, like, more worldwide about that, because it's so easy for, for clients to get done with one project and then start working on another project. And maybe they don't mean to withhold money or not pay your agency, Um but everybody's constantly moving in this industry. And so it's so easy for people to be like, okay, that's done, now we move on to the next thing. And then they just kind of forget about that last production. And then you don't get paid or you don't get um, tagged in the pictures or whatever. And just like more like, I don't think that you can put too many rules on it because then soon enough, like everybody will start looking the same because it'll be like, oh, there's this rule and there's this rule and there's this rule and people will start acting the same. And right now there's so much like there's so many free souls that are models and they're all able to do whatever and there's so many agents that are just like free like souls and they'll like do whatever but i feel like if there's more procedures like if you're in this situation this is how you can handle it and then if there was something where like i don't know if like if they handle it according to these steps then the client can't discriminate against them for future jobs you know like if i if so say something happened like at that shoot the guy wanted me to shoot in underwear and if the procedure is like um asked to use the restroom and then go and text your agent or call your agent 
and then have them resolve the issue. And if you follow those steps, then that photographer can't discriminate and like be like, oh, well, I'm not going to book her because I had a bad experience with her at that shoot. Then I think that would help, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like if you, because like obviously there's girls that are be like, no, I'm not going to do that because blah, blah, blah. And like that could kind of come off as like rude, even though the photographer wasn't even supposed to be doing that in the first place. So it's not the model's fault. Like she has the right to be offended or like upset about it. But then the photographer could take that as like being rude or whatever. And even if the girl isn't rude. Um, So I think it would just make it a lot easier to prevent certain situations or discrimination. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think uh, you're right on point that there's just certain types of procedures or guidelines that we need to kind of figure out in this industry that... Um, like have it be industry standard to do yeah, a Across thing. the board. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a long ways off still as we're still trying to work on things. But I also do think that it's really important that models do speak up and they do talk about um, solutions to kind of help us form those guidelines and procedures to be able to protect you. Um, that it shouldn't be just all on like one organization or one type of uh, person in the industry to work on those procedures. I think it needs to be a huge team effort, but I do think that models need to be able to feel free to speak um, openly without being uh, reprimanded. Yeah. Well, and like even now, like people are coming out about like maybe sexual assault stories or discrimination stories, especially with the whole Black Lives Matter movement. But oftentimes I see that it's, like, anonymous. And, like, I think that it's, like, you have every right to stay anonymous if you want. But, like, I feel like a lot of a lot of times it's anonymous because the girl doesn't feel safe enough to come out and say who they are. And, like, that one, there's a model account and they share stories of models who have had bad experiences. And the person who runs the account is staying anonymous because the backlash they would get for helping these models and and holding other people accountable would be tremendous and they would not have a career anymore. But it shouldn't be like that. Like, I feel like everything is still anonymous. Like, even though people are speaking out, it's still anonymous because there's always that fear that, oh, well, my career is going to end and people are going to look at me different and people are going to, you know, and I think we have a long way to go before people will be comfortable actually coming out as who they are and, like, saying their experiences with their name. Mm -hmm. Because you you put so much at risk speaking up for yourself that everything is anonymous still yeah and i think too like i mean i i my the modeling industry is is no sunshine i mean there are i <laughs> mean <laughs> and you hear i mean we talk about like bad experiences you know um awkward experiences that happen in modeling but this is also why i feel like we don't want to just have an account where you just bitch about it yeah. Does that make sense? Because then nothing's being accomplished. And that's kind of like why we do this question of like, wouldn't it be great if, and then the model brings solutions on the board so that we can all kind of like start thinking about how we can help the models and how the models can also help themselves and like kind of start that process um yeah. I feel like it's a really important it's like not a, just like a bitch fest but it's also like a solution like having that follow-up question of what can we do to fix that or what can we do to obtain that you said wouldn't it be great if 
what can we do to obtain that? Because if you don't have that second question, then it's just a bitch fest. Right, yeah, yeah. And I think um, I think that's, like, just, yeah, it's really important. So, um, because then those horror stories just keep happening. Yeah. And it keeps happening even to little sisters down the road. So instead of turning a blind eye to someone... And being like, oh, it just happens because that's part of the industry. Like, no, right. it shouldn't be like that. Right, yeah, yeah. And it's okay to speak up, but um, speak up with um, and bring to the table something. Solutions, yeah. Yeah. Well, because also I feel like, like, since it's such a worldwide industry, then, like, obviously, like, the, the like, societal standards and societal things that we have here obviously aren't the same as in Europe or as in the UK or like any any other place really so like I guess for example like here nudity is a lot more frowned upon um especially like in people outside of the industry whereas in Europe it's seen as like tasteful or as as long as it's done tastefully right it's like tasteful and it's beautiful and like that's just like one thing where it's like I understand it's hard to like make like a across the board like, a set of, like, oh, well, this is what you can do and this is what you can't do because societies are so different all across the world. But I feel like there's definitely more to be done than what's being done right now. Yeah. Freaking amazing. (laughs) Awesome. I'm so glad we were able to catch up. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. I I look forward to hanging out again and talking some more. Anytime. Thank you for joining us on the Model Jeans podcast. Want to talk about this podcast? As always, we love to hear from you. Jump over to our social media platforms at Model Jeans Podcast. Then come on over to modelgenealogy.com to sign up to be the first to get exclusive updates on our VIP live interviews and all the updates you need to know. Be sure to take the test to see what type of model you are so you have a path to follow. Lastly, do you have a challenge for us to solve? Reach out to us at Model Genealogy. You may find our comeback sooner than you think on Topic Tuesday. Thanks so much for hanging out with me.